Hi and welcome to the Habits Habit Podcast. My name is Brian Conroy, your host on this uh, journey, adventure, uh, miscellaneous delve into human behaviour. That wasn't the best sell ever. My guest this week is Martin Grunberg, habit author uh, and podcaster uh, and um, really interesting guy in in a nutshell. Um, And what I really uh, like about Martin is what I think is going to be proven at some point soon is probably that he was on the right track uh, maybe a decade ago in terms of his approach to habits and that's something that uh, you'll see in a couple of later podcasts with some of the scientists and researchers who are doing research into habits now um, uh, which makes uh, his book uh, and his app and his system um, really quite interesting. So um, he's the author of the book The Habit Factor and uh, the accompanying app um, which again was w- way ahead of its time in many ways um, called The Habit Factor um, you'll find him online everywhere talking about habits uh, and his podcast comes out uh, more than once a week usually um, so do go and uh, find him and connect with him and please let me know in the comments what you think uh, what are your thoughts if any of this resonates with you so let's get into this week's episode here's Martin Grumberg author and habit expert what, one of the things that I found most interesting about both um, listening to your audiobook reading the book uh, and thinking about this interview was I wasn't sure where to start because <laughs> in a way it starts well 10 years ago when the first book was published and I think two years before that when you started it. So you're 12 years on from the seed of the habit factor. Um, like, where would you start if you were me? Is maybe a, a Well, uh, great question. I can tell you're a pro already. So yeah, my, it's actually the seeds, and I love the question, it's 15 years at least before I started truly ruminating, deeply meditating on the concept of habit. And the more I did, the more fascinated I became, Brian. And it it just became overwhelming to a point where I was consumed by just the philosophy wrapped around habit. The The deeper I went, the more I researched and studied. And again, you, for context, it's important to go back 15 years and remember there, there was essentially no, no books written about habit. There was one all-time super famous book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by, of course, Dr. Stephen Covey. But, but other than that, and of course... I should say parenthetically that the the flaw, if you could dare suggest there was one with the book, is he was focusing on a set number of habits, i.e. seven. And I was like, it's bigger than a set number. It's about habit. So yeah, 15 years is where I... If I would take me back and that's exactly where I think is a great place to start. I, I I get it. I feel I'm almost at the place you were then, albeit I'm probably older than uh, you were when you were at that place. But I, I'm just curious as to how you got there. Was it was it reading other books and going, "There's a piece missing here," or something's not clicking? Or yeah, the actual aha. And and there were multiple. The thing I've found, and now I'm a few books in is 
in this, I, this is a great tip I wish somebody had shared to me, but that the more you can, one can spend time on just one idea. And I don't mean in a single sitting over a great period of time. So what I was getting at is, Brian, I had multiple epiphanies along the way, but, but one of the first was relative to me. I was just meditating in my room upstairs. I was around 35, and, and I have this playlist at the time that would bounce through Covey and Tony Robbins and several other predominant thought leaders, Brian Tracy, I'm trying, one name is eluding me, another one would be Napoleon Hill. Anyways, and it was incredible to me because they were all saying the same thing, like Tony would be talking about conditioning and in this, and again, Covey's talking about seven habits and then somebody else was saying something. And then all of a sudden I saw this thread and it was habit between all of them, whether it was Napoleon Hill, Stephen Covey, Tony Robbins, but nobody, it, it appeared that nobody just focused on habit as this principal force throughout our lives. And that was the tipping point. And that that sent me on this, you know, rabbit hole, wild goose chase, research experiment, etc. What, what I, where I see part of this conversation going, and I don't want to preempt it or predict it, but I, I think we're ultimately going to end up talking about what the difference between the habit factor and your approach and some of the other approaches that are now out there are. But before we get there, one thing that strikes me just as you were talking there, and I'm definitely going to misquote it because I can't think of the exact quote, but it's some very wise and famous person. I think it might have been... Oh, I don't know. Let's say, uh, yeah, uh, no, it's not that far back. It was either Einstein or whoever invented electricity or I can't remember. Oh, anyway, okay. Yeah, but it was the, the gist of the quote is, uh, how did I come up with it? Uh, you would have come up with it too if it's all you thought about all the time for your whole life. And it just speaks to that point you made about focusing on one thing. Yeah, um, it's, it's really this. I was listening to another program the other day. It was all Brian Tracy, and he was talking about this idea of genius, and they distilled it into three character traits or four. And and anyways, one of them, they said, was just the ability to, they said focus, but I I think it's deeper than, focus to me is a a period of time, then a period of time, and this is more like concentration, uh, deep concentration, meditation over years. And then you begin to or one begins to connect dots. Yeah, I'm not surprised if Edison or Einstein or <laughs> any of those guys said something like that. But what, what I guess is uh, interesting, when, do you know, when you started this journey at say 35, and we'll definitely get into the journey and the experience and, and the results obviously in a minute, but when you started, did your life before that start to make more sense which is what I'm finding, that I'm starting to realize some of my successes or some of my high achievements were as a result of habits that I didn't know were habits at the time. And I didn't know were habits until I started learning more about habits. And could you see where habits had formed or played an important part in your life, but you just didn't know it at the time? 
No, certainly not to to a positive extent. And and that was <laughs> there was no great success. I had modest success as, as an entrepreneur. At the time, I even had some investors, and we opened a kids' computer camp. Then we opened an IT company, and that IT company ended up that specific one ended up running twenty some odd years. And at its peak, we had twenty two ish employees. But at thirty five, in looking back, post let's call it a discovery, it was it only shone a light really on on where all my frustrations lied and all my challenges. And I was terribly frustrated and I couldn't get traction. And I would say I would go after one goal or another goal only for another year to come by and nothing significant happened. And I would start and I would spin my wheels and then life would happen. And Next thing I knew, another year went by and another year went by and another year went by, which is why I spent <laughs> so, so much money in personal development programs, looking, searching, Brian, for something. And it's just super funny to me that even the very greats, the greatest of the greats missed this obvious principle string it's that string that goes through all of it i don't want to name names but one guy would be like the best way to your goals is these 12 steps and another guy would say this and another guy would say this but that's yeah i had no great success just looking back and going oh that's where i really succeeded it yeah the things i were good at i was just purely thinking about you call it football i call it soccer or something like that or surfing that was just passion, which developed skills because I would practice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let, okay. That's a good entry point to discussing because I think what you've described there, some people will say that sounds a lot like a habit. If you developed the skill, if you practiced, if you repeated it, behavior, it, it sounds it to me like a habit. It is. And that's what I keep today. That's one of the, the core messages of the habit factor is, a lot of experts, behavior scientists, they trip over themselves trying to differentiate between skills and habits. And what I keep insisting is it's more of a, a nomenclature thing, meaning it's just naming like skill and habit are fraternal twins. They're kissing cousins. They reside and they operate out of the same part of the brain, the limbic system. So you're spot on that when you practice, whether it's via passion or deliberate because you suck at something, ultimately these, these skills or habits move from the, the deliberate, conscious thinking, slow prefrontal cortex to the limbic system, which is incredibly fast. One of the things that I, I've found interesting, and, and I'm not sure if you've um, noticed it or, or if I'm grasping at something that's not there, um, I'm finding it easier to see and understand habits looking at my kids. So I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old for my sins. And um, 
Wow, you got your hands full. Yeah, just looking at kids out on the road playing, I can see what I think are the beginnings of certain habits with them. So I'm thinking in particular of when I was a kid, uh, like I would have spent hours kicking a football against a wall. Right. Um, and like that, you develop the skills or the habits of not. So it's the behavior becomes automatic. You no longer think about yep. trapping yep. the ball or controlling it. You just do it. And I noticed there's a, a little kid on, uh, that my, my son plays with, and he's brilliant at football. And anytime you look out the window, he's just kicking a ball. It doesn't matter who it's to, <laughs> what's happening. Yep. Yep. Um, and then my son, who isn't as uh, enthusiastic about soccer at all, you can see when he's doing it, it's very deliberate. He has to think about what he's doing. And it's, it's just interesting to me because obviously at a young age, they're, they're developing so quickly and developing so much, but they're not thinking about it at all. I'm sure this little guy who's seven wouldn't necessarily know what a habit was if you asked him. So I'm, I'm interested in how these things can happen, even if you don't know anything about them. It, it's a, well, they, it feels strange yeah. to me like that. Yeah, it's, I love the perspective. And yeah, you're seeing it through both the before and after lens. So it's interesting. There's, I keep bringing up Covey because I love the guy, but there, he, he used to say there are three major components to habit development, knowledge, skill, and we'll set that aside for a second. <laughs> so knowledge, skill, set that aside. And Knowledge, skill, and desire, which was the biggest one. The biggest component is desire. So when you see your neighbor and he has this incredible passion for football, that's the desire component, right? And that's the biggest, the biggest component to habit or skill development is desire. So the reason we set skill aside and, and by the way, the graphic, I'm seeing it in my head, but I'm sure nobody else knows what I'm talking about. If you had three circles and they intersected in the middle, so you have knowledge and we'll not label the other one skill and we'll call it desire. And then instead of skill, we're going to call it capacity to perform, I know it's a little long, the behavior. And so in the innermost intersection where all these things intersect, knowledge, capacity to perform the behavior, and desire is or resides habit and skill. And the reason, now you understand why it took skill out of that outer circle, and I put it in the inner circle with habit. So to give you an illustration, if I want the habit of brushing my teeth or the skill, I have to have the basic knowledge, right? Where's the, where's the toothpaste? Where's the toothbrush? I, I need to know. I need to have the Which capacity. Which end goes in your mouth? The capacity to move my hand and arm around. And then most important is the desire. So... I just thought it was interesting because you were mentioning passion and that is a massive component to habit or skill development. So let's take one step back then. We're of a generation now where we want quick answers and quick explanations. So is there a <laughs> sentence 
that listeners will be able to take away is a habit is like that the the what seems in one way like a very basic question of what is a habit is it possible to give a basic answer yeah certainly it just wouldn't be complete okay you could just say it's it's a when so the simple answer is it's a behavior that is automatic or nearly automatic without much or any conscious thought. And tell me why or tell us why that is incomplete. That's why there's a 250 page plus book. For starters, habit, if anybody's religious out there, it's no coincidence that what a priest or a nun wears is a habit. Do you have any idea why? Uh, because they do it all the time? <laughs> That's I don't mean to laugh. I think that is a, a very interesting answer. Part of it could certainly be that. I think the greatest perhaps the greatest answer is underlying this is the definition like the Latin root as in the etymology of habit is habitus, which means condition or character. So this is, you're asking me what's the more complete definition of habit. Let's start here. The fact, Brian, your character at this moment, your condition at this moment is quite arguably the sum total of all your thought and behavior habits to this time. And in 20 years, your condition and character will be the sum total of all your thought and behavior habits. So that's just the first part of this more complete answer that habit constitutes our character. There, I, I did notice, and it makes sense now that I've, I'm speaking to you and how deferential, if that's the right word, you are towards Stephen Covey, that character is one of the, the big words that jumps out of that book. And I did notice it coming up in yours as well. And so it makes sense to me, even though I, I, in a way I thought this would be later in the conversation, but I think one of the best ways maybe of understanding your approach to habits and systems is actually to talk about how it's different from other, um, so I don't know whether I want to call it systems because that mightn't be quite the right word, but other theories or systems and particularly the scientific approach to habits. Um, there's a revival, I, I don't know if you want to call it a revival, but there's a, a glut of habit books that have been released this year. Like I, I did a quick search on Goodreads and you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's multiples of what it was a couple of years ago. And it's probably thousands percent beyond where it was in 2010 when the habit factor came out. So, so I think that's all good. <laughs> the science that bothers me a hair really where the habit factor differentiates itself is these, there's a, I think it's a bit of a fallacy. This it's perpetuated this idea of cue routine reward. So any of your listeners who have a modicum introduction to habit, it's all over the interwebs. You can't escape 
this cue routine reward. They call it the habit loop. Yeah. My point, and I'm trying to be gentle with my language, is it's almost worthless because it comes, <laughs> if I can be more gentle, <laughs> comes out of the science, Brian, of studying rats and mice. And so what they did is they, they drop a mouse in a maze and they put some cheese in it. And so they're like, the cue is he's in the maze. The routine is he finds the cheese and the reward is he gets the cheese. And so as a human, and by the way, multiple books with millions of copies sold perpetuate and recommend and promote the habit loop. But as a human, I'm sitting here going, well, what is that telling me? There's a cue. If I want to intentionally develop a habit, I need a cue and then a routine and then a reward. So if I want to develop the running habit, I need to, you know, what, eat cheese at the end, eat a piece of cake. And then what's the routine? Is that the habit itself? And then, so what the habit factor has promoted from the beginning is that we are human. And unlike rats and mice, we have three unique capacities. Let's begin with choice. We have choice, we have intention, and we have reflection. So the habit factor promotes, teaches, preaches something called PAR, plan, act, record, and reassess. So if I want to develop the running or jogging habit, Brian, I'm not using the habit loop because it doesn't tell me a whole lot, but I do plan. So I say, okay, Martin, you're going to need, because you want the goal, which is a component we haven't even talked about, this fact that habits lead to goal achievement, but we'll set that aside. So the goal is a half marathon. What's my plan look like? I need to jog 20 minutes because I've never really jogged before three times a week. And then I need to act. And so I track it right? So I act, I record, and then I reassess after a week. And then after four weeks, how have I done against my target? You follow that? I do follow that. And I want okay. to ask a load of questions about it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, what I'm, I, because I, I, I want to understand, I'm really interested in the goal part of it. Uh, and we're, we're going to come to that in a minute. But okay. if you take your system, so plan, act, record, and reassess, yep. is there, um, n not necessarily by design, but possibly by coincidence or by, I'm not sure, maybe depending on how you plan, is there an overlap with elements of the habit loop? So let's say, if you're planning, part of your plan might involve setting up what other habit systems would call cues. You know, that you wouldn't necessarily be thinking of it in that time. Uh, you know, but I'd be look, saying, I'm going, to lay, I'm going to lay my clothes out would be what I would call a plan and what they might call, well, your cue is putting your runners in an obvious and, place. And absolutely. The, the answer is absolutely there. The plan replaces because it's, in my mind, it's far more complete because the plan includes not just the cue, 
putting my shoes by in front of the door. It includes what's the frequency per week, which is left out of Q routine reward. Is it, and then what's the minimum success criteria? Am I running for 20 minutes or am I running three miles? That's also in the plan that's baked into the planning process, I should say. Nowhere to be found in Q routine reward. Does that make sense? It does. I suppose if, if you were to follow it through to its logical conclusion, if and sticking with the running thing, then what you'd be what you could say is, well, if your runners are the cue, then every time you see your runners, you're going to uh, jump up, put them on and start running, um, which is obviously not what we do. But how long am I running? What's the plan? How long am I running? What days of the week am I running? And then am I recording that? That's not in uh, cue routine reward. Where's the recording? And then where's the reassessment? Yeah, I see. I, I, what? Okay, so what's interesting about this is that element of i think goals or some something to bring it all together i think when, when we were emailing beforehand i had asked you about this notion just that i had in my head about habits existing in in a vacuum what's the connection between what you want to do and developing a habit as a i'm not articulating myself very well but no, this, no, this fine, idea but... of how to get i I have a goal, therefore I have habits, or I have habits, therefore I have a goal, or they exist in isolation, or habits only exist if there's a goal. I, I like there's, <laughs> yeah, so I let's back this kind of, up. Yeah. Let's, okay, so we went over the simple definition of a habit, and then you're like, what does a more complex look like? So we went through character. Now let's talk about goal achievement. The If I want to write a book, and this is... By the way, this is another one of those epiphanies, if you will, that really, this is the biggest one as it relates to my achievements after figuring out the habit factor and what it means. So you want to write a book, that's the goal. And if I followed something like SMART goals, have you heard of SMART goals? Yeah, absolutely. And as I think you say in your book, I think pretty much everyone at this stage in the developed world is aware of them because they're held up as the gold standard of how to set goals. So unfortunately, I've made a career out of debunking (laughs) best practices, Q routine reward, SMART goals. These things are good. They're just, they leave a little bit on the table. So smart, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound. This is a best practice for goal achievement. So I just said, I want to write a book, okay? That's my goal. I'm going to follow smart goals. Is it specific? Sure. I know when I want my book to be done. Is it measurable? I think so. I got to write some words and sentences. Is it attainable? Sure. Is it relevant? Important to me? Sure. Is it time bound did i give it put a date on it yes okay now what at best i get a to-do list so i went through the process i made my goal smart and i'm just left here going okay what's my to-do list look and i'm like i don't know call a publisher outline my book so i just start writing these steps and i don't know if it's 10 steps brian i don't know if it's a thousand steps I, and then I just get stuck and overwhelmed. The habit factor says forget about steps and next steps and just focus on the core recurring behavior. 
So when it comes to writing a book, what's the core recurring behavior or habit that I need to develop? You need, you need to write, Martin, would Correct. be my best guess. Correct. So going through PAR, plan, act, record, reassess, I say, what's my plan? Let's go back to 20 minutes again. So I'm going to write because I don't have the writing habit. I want to set the bar very low. I'm going to write for 20 minutes, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And that is my plan. Monday rolls around. I wake up early and bam, I put in my 20 minutes. So I give myself a check. Hooray. Wednesday rolls around. I can't hit my target. So I give myself a zero. Sounds bad, but guess what? Because I'm planning Thursday rolls around and I know I got to make up my Wednesday. So I give myself a check. And in the tracking with the habit factor, we just use binary. It's just ones and zeros. So if I write for 15 minutes, I do not get my one. If I write for 25 minutes, I get my one. If I write for an hour, I still get my one. The point is, because I have a plan now, I am moving consistently toward my goal far more quickly than a series of steps. Because what happens with my steps? My, all of a sudden, tomorrow, what do I, I got to write a new series of steps? The key is to track core recurring behaviors, habits. So, do, so I was, I've been thinking about this, and, and I suppose just for full disclosure, in terms of where I come uh, into the equation in this chat, I, I am one of those people who has had every to-do list app since they've been invented from the Pam pilot up, who's had, right. who's done the Eisenhower matrix, who's done the GTD, who's done the seven habits, who's done the, the full shooting match. Um, and some of it has worked for some things. Uh, and so now <laughs> right. I'm trying to retrace my steps and, and trying to figure out why did that work? And right. interestingly for me, am I, is it because I stumbled into habitual behavior, either of your model or someone else's model. So um, when you talk there uh, and when I was reading your book, uh, some of the stuff I identified was the kind of big physical challenge. So I decided I was going to run a half marathon from, if you like, from a standing start. I was not fit. I hadn't run since I was in maybe 15 years. And like that, I, I ran three times a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. And I had spreadsheets from day one saying exactly how long I was, how far I was going to run on each of those days. And I just followed it. Um, I suppose what's interesting to me in terms of this is like at that stage, I hadn't read your book, but I seem to have done more or less what you say I should do. So well done me. Yeah, pretty uh, much. In, my, yeah. my question would be from one month to the other. My, my sense is you left out the final R, but maybe you didn't, which is reassessed. So the idea is you set the bar low and then from one four week period to the next, assuming you have that time, you raise the bar. So as you got nearer, as I got nearer to my events, the 20 minutes became 40 minutes, became an hour and a half. And, and I'm not saying necessarily every day, but, but that's the idea is Part of the reassessment is to raise the bar, which increases the conditioning and the habit strength. Um, yeah, um, 
maybe I'm giving myself too much credit, but I just had a really good plan from the start. I figured it out and thought, if I just stick to this plan, uh, I I can't fail almost. And I did stick to the plan. Okay, you might be the best person to ask this because very few people (laughs) have given me a good answer to this. After I ran the half marathon, I I stopped running. I just, right, I'd achieved the goal I set out to achieve. uh, And so I was done with it. In some versions of habits and habitual behavior that you would hear, and certainly that the internet would tell you about, I had the running habit. So this comes back to my interest in how your system interacts with goals and purpose and and, and mission and all sorts of good stuff in that, um, you would, I think some people would expect I was now a runner. So how come when I did my half marathon, I just stopped running? Yeah. <laughs> the answer, where did the desire go? Yeah. You no longer had, so you were developing the habit. Habits don't develop in 21 days. They don't develop. There's a study, European Journal of, I think it's Behavior Psychology. They estimate 66 days. What's hilarious about that is without even calling it that, they essentially gave their participants of the study the PAR methodology. (laughs) So they had them plant. They had them using, they didn't give them Q routine reward is what I'm telling you. They gave them PAR. They said, here... Use your intention, identify what behavior you want to track. Anyways, the short answer is there was no desire at that point. You hadn't fully formed the habit to the point where it was really automatic. I can tell you, for me, I do have a sincere, real desire without tracking anymore to run two or three times a week for about 30 or 40 minutes. And I do that consistently and have for years now without tracking. So to me, that's a fairly well-developed habit. Yeah, I, 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 for two, two things, uh, one of which is that I'm going to be chatting to the lead author of that study you're talking about, the 60 to 6 day study in a couple of weeks. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, so I think there was only like 58 participants, but what, <laughs> I don't want to tell you what you should do, but yeah, it's almost like you should approach it from the other side because, yeah, they clearly use, if you read the synopsis of the study, just the synopsis, it says they ask the participants, to choose their habit and then they they had a plan and then they acted and then they recorded and reassessed so it's just funny to me but yeah i would love to even talk to her that's great but it seems to me uh, and i suppose like all of this stuff the reason i'm so interested in it is partly out of pure interest but it's mostly so i can improve myself and hopefully help other people improve as well and it's my in 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 a lot of the stuff I've read, that that concept of and I, and sorry I I don't I don't feel I know enough yet to be saying anyone is right or wrong. So I'm certainly not going to um, rock up here with some great thoughts and, and call all the uh, people who've dedicated their lives to researching this wrong. But for me, oh yeah, no, absolutely, no. There's no, they're just shades of gray here. I mean, I think that's one important uh, point as well. I, I'll come back to it in one second, if I remember, which I may not. Um, the, for me, unless I have a purpose or a goal, 
I don't see and what you would call desire, whether you want to call it desire or motivation or whatever. I don't develop good habits that because why am I developing a good habit? Let's say if it's when I was running, so I'm not built for running as uh, anyone uh, who's had to <laughs> endure me when I'm running because I'm permanently injured. Shin splints, I get plantar fasciitis, all sorts of um, things, but I'm just too stubborn to stop. So when I was, when I decided I was going to run the half marathon, I also had to lose three stone because it's just, it's the uh, force that you put through the joints. It it multiplies by a a set factor, depending on your weight. I wanted to run this half marathon. It was just something that I really wanted to do. So uh, my diet was for maybe those six months was, I was eating more healthy than I'd ever eaten in my entire life. And again, that I can tell you, I'm now three stone heavier than I was then. I'm back to par. Um, so without the goal, I don't see why I would want to deprive myself of all the nice stuff or why I would want to do the behavior that's necessary to achieve the goal. I, I, that's what's missing for me in a lot of the other stuff that I'm like, but why? Like, why would you want to develop good habits or have good habits unless what the end goal is or purpose or mission now? That yeah, might yeah. be a race. That could be to be healthy for my kids or to stay alive or whatever it is. But I just feel like there has to be a reason. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, and we could we don't have the time, but really there's a there's a an entire process behind not just the habit factor, but as it relates to goal achievement. And so you dissect the goal, you identify the three to five core recurring behaviors, the, the habits that are really going to drive the goal's achievement. And then those are the ones that you track and you increase the frequency per week and the minimum success criteria, which is, is it 25 pushups or is it 25 pages to read? So you, those increase over time and you go from one four week tracking period to the next. And some people are like, oh my God, I don't have six or eight months. And the answer is, of course, absolutely you do if you're going to be alive. But that's also telling about the desire, whether it's sincerely there or not. I can tell you in the past, fairly often people come to me, they say, this is the habit I really want to craft and as a coach, I just say, produce the tracking data and they can't do it. And that tells us all we need to know about their desire. It's interesting. I had a conversation at the start of this process. These interviews are being recorded. Now, actually, it's not a bad example as well, because my plan was quite deliberate about this podcast, which was to bank a certain number of interviews so that I could launch it knowing that I had enough for each week to give me some breathing space to get more guests and to, to build the site better and to do all that kind of stuff. Great. Um, but I spoke to one guy, he's, I don't you may not have heard of him, he's a very kind of famous, I think his mentalist is the word, but uh, his name's Keith Barry. He's He's got a very kind of well-watched TEDx talk and he's a kind of, mind magician i I don't know anyway i have not heard i have not heard of him but i'm gonna look him up what was the name again keith barry is his name keith barry okay yeah he's a really interesting guy but we were talking about just some things he does or in his coaching and in his career and when he comes up against resistance 
or pe- people saying, oh, I couldn't do that. What we were actually talking about was having cold showers. And he was saying it works for him. And certainly there is science out there that a cold shower is good for you in certain ways. And that's disputed I, and all of that. It's not important. What's important was this sentence just jumped out at me and stuck with me, which is how badly do you want it? So if someone tells you, the science says having a cold shower every day will help you achieve your goals. And you go, oh, no, I couldn't have a cold shower every day. Then you go, then don't be surprised when you don't achieve your goals because you don't want it badly enough. If you don't want it badly enough to have a cold shower, you don't want it badly enough. Do you know? Do you, do you follow that kind of logic? Um, yeah, uh, look. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a cold no, shower, it, but I'm just saying to no, do no, what's I necessary. I mean, to, to, to me, it's the old, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And there's a lot of really good answers, air quotes, out there. Formulas, systems, things people can practice. But when the rubber meets the road, which is what tracking your habits is, that is where it falls in line with what you just said, that they don't really want it. It's lip service. They say they want it. They think they want it. They may even believe they want it. And then they're not willing to track the habits. So the, the truth is they don't want it. And that's all. It's not a big deal. <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's as simple as that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Let me, let me tell you about one of my experiences and see if you can, I don't mean explain it to me. I'm not looking for free coaching, but uh, I, the difficulty I had with habit tracking, and maybe, as you say, it's to look at it more binary, win or lose, did it or didn't do it. But let's say, yeah, I, I struggled. I wanted to lie to myself. Like I wanted to say, oh, I can, you know, I can't it today. I think we'll, I think we'll chalk up an X there. Or it would, it wasn't all or nothing. There was a bit of gray in the habit tracking where I think, yeah, I did. Yeah, I don't. Or I, I don't know. I just, the, the obsession with not breaking the chain to use the kind of James Clear oh um, my God. language okay. got the better of me. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about that. The, there's a lot of myths. We just debunked one about 21 days to develop a habit. The other is streaks. In fact, when you talk to the lady, she will prove just like we've been preaching for 15 years that streaks are not important when it comes to habit development. What is important is consistency over time. So when you said there's a bit of gray area in tracking, I actually wrote down gray is okay. And I like the saying, the fact is, the only way to stay on track is to track and people fall off track all the time. It's not the end of the world. You just get back on tracking. You track. Yeah, I have a sense for your personality type just through the few minutes we've chatted here. And sometimes there is this all or nothing, I'm in it or Damn I'm it, not. I knew, and, and gonna, they, I knew you were going to say that. I was just saying to myself, his next words are going to be all or nothing. I know they are. <laughs> so, well, and what I'm getting at is because you're, you are an achiever type, you're beating yourself up because you 
don't track a day or two or even a week or two weeks goes by because life's messy and you got a three, six and nine year old, you should totally forget that and just get back on track. That's all, that's all everybody needs to do is not focus on the past that didn't work out and you fell off track. You just get back on track. So that's all it is. Let me ask another question now, because I don't even know if I understood this when I read the book and maybe I'm picking you up now wrong. But I also spoke to Wendy Wood, who wrote the Good Habits, Bad Habits book. I don't know if you've read that. I have not. She was, I don't want to say, she wasn't dismissive of habit tracking. But what, <sighs> but what her view on it was, is that it's, it is separate from the actual habit. So it's not, you don't form a habit because of the tracking it it's it, so i don't know you did, it, okay so so i respectfully entirely disagree it is separate but this is how we reaffirm our intention and our desire and so of course can i, it's can I, sorry, can fact, I stop you martin because i think that's the point like i think when scientists like herself talk about it intention of desire doesn't come into it at all. So I think that's how they're able to divorce tracking from it. That, you know, and that's, but, but they're giving you advice. They're giving listeners advice who are humans. So <laughs> there's no real significance to divorce intention when you're advising humans. You, you, one, should include intention. And when you do that, you include tracking and you include planning. Yeah, um, it's... So Wendy's, uh, I'm sure she's a fantastic person. I know she's dedicated her professional career to this. I just have a separate professional opinion and I don't have a PhD. And that is we're advising humans on how to develop habits. One person is saying tracking is not really that important. Another person is saying tracking is critically important because it's how you it's how you reaffirm your intention and your desire, and it's also a way to increase habit strength over time. So wonderful person, I'm sure she is. Just uh <laughs> professional different take here. No, which, which is, wouldn't the world be very boring if we all thought the exact same and, and we wouldn't really be evolving. Uh, but let me um, ask you a, a question that has started to become more and more interesting to me since we started talking, which is, and I'm not trying to goad you into bashing other uh, authors or anything of the sort, but how do you explain the success of all these other books because for example if because there's if they not, weren't working for people then people well would... are they working first of all the book is something you read and then you're educated and you leave the book with some ideas whether they're implemented is an entirely different so i'm not sure that those are the same i was just going to say that when you talk to the woman relative to the study, ask her if they recorded and tracked their behaviors. I already know the answer. 
it's a, it's a very interesting point you make because you can't really do scientific analysis without measuring the um, results. <laughs> and and they asked their participants in the study to to track the yeah. record. Wendy's absolutely right. It's separate. Does it reinforce the building of a habit? Absolutely. When so I suppose there's there's a saying, what's the best tool? It's the tool you'll use. And what I've discovered, and I think my sense is that actually you would probably agree with this, we'll soon find out, that probably the best way to figure out how to um, build habits for yourself is to learn more about them and the different uh, approaches uh, and pick and mix the bits that you know are going to work for you and almost create your own habit system so it's not maybe again you'll tell me but you're not saying my way is the only way so it could be that I take a bit from James Clear's book I take a bit from your book I take a bit from Wendy Wood's book the bits that resonate with me and say if I want to create a habit I know that these building blocks that I've taken from different sources are how I'm going to achieve it yeah, I, I underscore one one theme over and over, and we, we even saw a, a planner on our site. It's called the Habit XP Planner, and it stands for experiment. And so you're spot on. The, the truth is, though, when if you were to dissect any of the above that you mentioned, I think you will see a theme relative to the fundamentals that always fall back on par. So I'm not going to say, yeah, this is the very best. I'm just, (laughs) I am suggesting that the foundation is par and it is something relative to habit strength, which is critically important. If you want to develop a habit, habit strength is the path. Can I ask a very odd question? Of course. I'm curious about what sticks or these, how, how people pick up their ideas. So for example, when you talked earlier about Tony Robbins and you talked about Stephen Covey uh, and his book completely resonated with me, it's a completely personal thing. That, and I think that's part of the point. Tony Robbins isn't for me like when he comes on he's too full of energy or he's too full on or he's too <laughs> god forgive me what people outside american would call he's too american um right, that right. i just gonna go no can't be dealing with that i feel this <laughs> i have i feel the same way about some other people like gary v very successful people they're doing great <laughs> things i don't begrudge right. it but it's just not for me one of the things i find quite interesting about a lot of the if you want to call them self-help books or whatever you want to call them, success out there is, and maybe I'm linking causality where there is none, I don't know, but there's an underdog story behind it. So if you like, like just take Hal, Hal Elrod, The Miracle Morning, uh, was in a car crash, nearly killed. He had to come up with this system to save his life and happily ever after. James Clear <laughs> smashed his head in with a baseball bat. Amy Cuddy, car crash as well, I think. A lot of, I just, I don't know. Maybe there's nothing there, but it seems that we're, and, and maybe it's all because of TED Talks, I don't know, but we're drawn to personalities uh, and 
that we think this worked for them. And We're I like drawn to stories. So everybody loves a good story. And the reason I'm repeating that 17 times is you will understand when my next book comes out, which I can't give away. But yeah, that's the thread through all of the above. I'm being very cynical now and possibly to the point of being facetious. But like, I wonder, for example, if, I mean, your story about wanting to complete this race as one of the inspirational moments, like I have this weird sense that if it was a car crash or a plane crash or you'd lost an arm or something that led you to, to this discovery that you might find that it was even more successful or that people gravitated towards it because it helped you overcome this this huge thing. Do you know what I mean? Is that No, no, I do. It's funny. I think there was one, some, some review where a person, well, that's a lame accomplishment. And (laughs) I don't know. Um, That's interesting observation. Yeah. Look, uh, near death, a near death experience or story is tough to beat. The good news is I don't have that as of yet knock on wood but it's an interesting observation and i suppose it just it 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 strikes me that they all then you could track that back to uh the question about passion purpose motivation whatever nothing like staring death in the face to make you realize what's important that that focuses the mind back on this idea of what what is it exactly that you want can we talk about Something important that I think you just brought up, which is worth sharing. We're not all going to be so fortunate to be in a near-death car accident. And I'm saying that facetiously. (laughs) What we can do is actually what I wrote about in The Habit Factor. We, We can, we should go through the exercise. I don't know if you read Roz's Roz Savage, she's, she has four Guinness World Records rowing across the ocean solo. She wrote the foreword to The Habit Factor. Yeah, yeah. No, I, Did you I read that? To it. I li- well, I listened to it on the audiobook, okay. yeah. Okay, so there's a key statement in here which is very relevant to what you're talking about. She said at a certain point, her life was miserable. She wasn't waiting around for some magnificent car crash to change her life. She took the initiative and wrote two obituaries, one as though nothing was going to change in her life and what that would look like and sound like. And then she wrote a new story, what you would call an ideal obituary, where she was an eco-activist and a hero and inspiring others to change their behaviors to, for clean oceans. And in order to do that, she, would, she caught herself by surprise. She would row across an ocean to create awareness. And at that moment, she redefined her end goal. Covey, right? Begin with the end in mind. There's no greater end to begin with than your demise. So Roz did that. I did that. That's how I ended up doing the 32-mile paddle, which pales and (laughs) it's not rowing across any ocean. But the point is, the beginning point for both of these, Brian, we weren't waiting around for near-death experience. We could use our own intention and we could reflect. In fact, it, it's this combination of reflection and foresight where we could use our imagination, go out to the future. We're dead. And then what does that look like in terms of an obituary and impact? 
and then use that as desire to forge new behaviors, new habits. See, I think that's, we're coming back again and again to what I, is the missing piece for me. And like in a weird way, it seems that uh, this is just me personally now. And again, I, I suspect it may be slightly different for everyone that there's some very big questions to be asked is to use Covey's terminology, developing habits in a vacuum or without knowing what your purpose is or your goal is climbing the ladder to find it's against the, the wrong wall. Uh, that, that the habits actually, I'll, I'll, maybe we'll finish on this. I'll just ask you because there's this concept that I, I know you've talked about before about habits being a byproduct of goals or, and which comes first, does good habits lead to success or are habits a byproduct of success, which is, it might be chicken and egg kind of thing, but um, just on a personal level, again, it's something I, I mentioned earlier. If you don't know what you want to do or who you want to be or, or where you want to end up, then how do you know what habits you need to get you there? Correct. And, and then the answer to the chicken egg, it's both. It's not an either or. You achieve some magnificent goal. You can damn bet you forge some fantastic new habits and if you forge some fantastic new habits you can guarantee you will be on your way to some magnificent goal which could even just be a refinement of your character so the key it's not an either or it's it's a both See, I just don't think any, well, not anyone, but I don't think people would think of that to start. You could, so let's say if, if you're struggling for life purpose or, or, or you don't know what the hell you want to do with your life, um, mm-hmm. you could decide, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but right. I can focus on my habits and good things will come and maybe I'll figure out what I want to do with my life. It's just, it's not an obvious starting point, I think. For, it's, well, there's a few things. Uh, we just talked about the obvious starting point is to do the obituary exercise. It's, there's only, at least in this body, there's only one lifetime. So that it's very simple to just quickly go to, all right, I'm dead. What experience, and by the way, this is what we do in the Habit Factor Challenge, <laughs> these events we do monthly, but we begin with a bunch of clarity exercises and and one of them is just what I'm dead. What experience or skill or adventure or achievement, because I'm dead now, what do I regret not having done? And the beauty is we don't have to wait till we die to ask that question. And so all of a sudden that brings purpose and clarity to the now because all of a sudden I'm signing up for kite surfing lessons because I'm like, that it would give me, that would add juice to my life or learning to play the guitar or what, whatever it is for you as an individual. Martin, because I have the guitar I bought about six months ago when lockdown started on my bed that I've played about three times. <laughs> Well, that's fine. It's beginning. At least you've changed your environment. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Sorry. I was, I was just about to let you go. You're nearly off the hook, but now you've mentioned environment. Have you got five minutes to chat about yeah, that? Absolutely. 
Uh, okay, so, so this is <laughs> why one not. Of, this is one of the big things that has come up uh, again and again, and it certainly forms part of the the cue craving reward response or the habit <laughs> loop or whatever. Right. Um, do you think again in terms of um, cherry picking from the various books and things? I can see the logic of whether you want to call it environment design or priming your environment or whatever else. Do you value that as part of the planning process or? Oh, it's, it's massive. When it comes to behavior change, it's so massive that I, it's not in the habit factor per se. I talk about it, but really I dedicated an entire book. I'm sure you have not gotten to it yet. It's called The Pressure Paradox. And it's specific to, because environment is such a broad concept, but pressure is an environmental force and it influences significantly what I call the three Ps, productivity, performance, and peace of mind. So not to mention our behaviors, which is subsumed within that. So yeah, environment is massive. And when I get you a copy, an advanced copy of my next book, you'll see how this all these all come together. But I'm happy to answer any other questions about environment. No, that that makes sense to me. And I'd seen your other book, and I'd like uh, this. I, I hope this won't come across as a criticism. It wasn't immediately obvious um, from the title. That's what the book was going to be about. So if I could put it like that, I'm definitely going to read it now. And you know, uh, or- it's funny. It isn't because it's it just talks about pressure. You would have to. <laughs> I'm holding a copy. I'm like, you know what? You're damn right. I think it only briefly mentions environment on maybe the back cover. But yeah, once you dive in, it's a thorough investigation on environment and how environment influences our behavior and behavior change. And look, everybody's after at some point or other in their life, transformation, metamorphosis. And What's truly incredible is when you add pressure and new habits, that's, that's, that's how you get metamorphosis. That's how you get transformation. Is, is there anything, uh, I promise I am going to leave it, uh, if for no other reason that it is actually starting to get quite late in Ireland. It, yeah, yeah. Is, um, is, I've been talking um, a lot to the people I've been talking to for this podcast about when you say metamorphosis, when my, I've changed my attitude uh, towards peer pressure from a point where it, I only ever thought of it as a negative. It only ever had negative connotations on me that like I, you'd be worried that your kids would be peer pressured into doing something that they wouldn't want to do. But I now see the value of peer pressure in the positive way. That So some of the pop psychology advice, surround yourself with positive people and people who lift you up and this kind of thing. It actually, it makes sense that there would be a positive peer pressure uh, and the people being part of your environment, that if you're hanging around with people who like the stuff that you want to do and who are doing the stuff that you want to do, you're more inclined to do it. You're spot on, Brian. It's the case of both. Again, just like habit is neither, and unfortunately, most people actually have it regarded in a negative light, a negative connotation. Habit is neither good nor bad. And same goes for pressure. These are neutral forces, almost like. Truly almost like Star Wars. (laughs) And it's the force. And the question is, are you going to use it with intention? There's that word again, for good or evil, so to speak. And pressure is the exact same way. 
Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I, I have this uneasy feeling in a way um, that I know I have worked. I'm glad do. I could leave you with an uneasy feeling. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good feeling. I, I like when I am finished talking to someone and I think, okay, I have some stuff to do here. Um, <laughs> and that's, it's not a negative. It's no, a realization that I'm not quite where I need to be. And that's, I suppose, part of the realization is we're that's all, okay. Yeah, we're all, on a, we're all on a journey. What I love about what you're doing is the experimenting and the exploring and the research. And yeah, I compliment you on getting after it and, and doing the discovery. Thank you very much. I'll take the compliment. I'll also take the free complimentary book when it comes out as well. And I look forward to it. Oh, yeah. As I say, I'll be uh, reading um, the second book, which, as I say, I just, for whatever reason, I hadn't copped that it was a kind of book that I would really want to read. I will definitely do that. Martin, uh, thank you again and uh, uh, have a great day. And as I say, you can find Martin online pretty easily. Uh, It's Grunberg, G-R-U-N-B-U-R-G. If you like the interview and if you found any value in it, please do share it with other people. Let them know about it. Um, Spread the good habit word, as it were. Uh, And we'll have another episode for you next week.